Welcome back to the Building a Fighter podcast. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. What's up, dude? Doing great, man. Doing great. Sipping some coffee on a Sunday morning. It's going to be a beautiful, productive day. Is, uh, is coffee your priority? It's a very high priority in the morning. Uh, the other day, I didn't have a cup of coffee until like 11 a.m., and I did not know who I was. It was wild. Like you had amnesia? No, like I was I was a completely different person without caffeine racing through my bloodstream. Because <laughs> if you know me, I drink coffee at least three cups probably before 7 a.m. And then throughout the rest of the day, um, because as much as I like it or not, as a strength coach, I'm, I'm typically an energy guy. So it's not always rah-rah and shit, but I bring people up and I need caffeine to do that. And Saturday... I didn't have any until like 11 a.m. And I was just like, why is everybody acting so flat around me? It's that like do, That doesn't sound like a priority. That sounds like an addiction. Ah, well, addictions become priorities real quick here, Austin. <laughs> no, priorities become addictions real quick here. <laughs> well, I think that's a that's a what, the associative property of math. It's, it crosses over both work. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so today, so, everybody... We're talking about priorities and how to prioritize. Yeah, exactly. I got you. How to prioritize your training schedule and what you should do to prioritize based around your goals. So a common theme that I've, I've seen with some of my athletes are they want to get better at something, right? They, they have a goal that they want to go after, whether they want to get bigger, whether they want to be a better wrestler, better striker, what have you, but nothing in their training changes to match that priority. They just say they want to be better at X and then they keep doing the same stuff and, and not really changing the way they train. What up? Well, how many guys do you get that come in and say this and well, I just, I need to get better at everything. I want to get better at all of it all the time. I just yell at them immediately and say, that's stupid. <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't even so allow them often. to have an answer, that answer. <laughs> well, I, I think you can have that answer when you're like six months to a year in. Right. If you're a beginner, but, yeah. but in reality, if we have a goal, we need to make our training schedule, make our training focus align with said goal, right? We've talked about this before in our good to great podcasts or I take what it takes like the book review podcast, where if you want to be elite, if you want to be the top of the food chain, you need to make your life match that goal that you have, right? You can't say you want to be a champion and then put in, just make it to the UFC work. That's not how that works. Exactly. And I I think the inverse is true as well. You need to make that goal fit your life and fit your schedule because, you know, maybe five weeks out is not a great time to decide that you need to be a good wrestler. Right. If you're not already a good wrestler, right? So it's like five weeks out from a fight, we're sharpening the sword. We're not necessarily adding new weapons. 100%. Yeah. And it's, it's got to match the time frame. It's got to match. It has to be a realistic goal, I guess right, is what we're talking about. And it just in reality, a lot of people want things and not a lot of people know how to get there. So that's what this podcast is all about is at least in my eyes is if you want something, if you want to get bigger, so to say, say you want to say you're a, a lighter weight and you have to put on size to get to fly weight, right? That, that I have three guys just like that right now. You have to make your training schedule match that. If you want to get bigger, well, guess the fuck what? You got to lift. You got to lift probably five to six days a week. 
But you know what that also means? That means you have to take out other sessions. You can't be also on top of this running five to six days a week. That means on top of this, you can't be doing two skill sessions a week. If you want to get bigger, other things have to sacrifice. You can't keep adding things in because as I've said in our workload, our workload talks and our workload podcasts, every workout you do is like you're digging a hole. You have to fill that hole in to make it a mountain. If you just keep digging, you're never going to make a mountain and you're never going to get to that goal. And we see that time and time again with people, whether if they want to be a better wrestler, but they're only doing one wrestling session a week. Well, guess what? If you want to be a better wrestler, go find a local good high school. Like we have some of our guys at fight ready that go down to Valiant, that go down to Valiant. They get their asses whooped by (laughs) high school kids straight up. And granted, this is probably one of the top five high schools in the country. Like Angel Cejudo's without a doubt, I'd put him up against any other wrestling coach at any level in the entire country. He's better than them. I I'll put my money on it. Angel Cejudo is the best wrestling coach in the entire United States. And he's teaching the high school kids. These motherfuckers are getting their ass whooped by 16 year olds and they're in the UFC. (laughs) But guess what? It's because they want to be a better wrestler. They're doing the things to become a better wrestler, to make them better at fighting. And they're not worried about losing. They're worried about getting better and they're changing their training schedule to match that. Right. And and this is where I'm going to take you out of your, your practical and your very uh, schedulistic mindset. We're going to talk about a little bit of the mental approach behind that, because this is what I see all the time with guys that come in and they have this specific goal. Most of the time, this specific goal revolves around a weakness, right? Yeah. You're not a wrestler. Well, I need to get wrestling in my game. I need at least really good takedown defense, right? And so you want to add that in. The problem with that is every time you practice wrestling, you feel shitty because you're not necessarily a good wrestler, right? And what does our ego to it do? It always gravitates us towards something we're good at. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I want to work on this weakness specifically, the small guy that wants to get big, but I hate being bad at things. So I'm not going to actually make the change, but I can talk all that I want about it. For sure. Right. So it's 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 a really big exercise in checking the ego. And it's a big exercise in like, do you have the champion mindset? Right. Because if you have the champion mindset, you're going to accept things for how they are. You're going to be aware of your skill set. And then you're going to execute your plan. When you set a plan, you're going to execute a plan. You're not just going to talk about the plan and you're not just going to, you know, fill the word the the air with fluff. You're not mm-hmm. just going to talk. That's one of my biggest pet peeves in in this whole fighting game is is not even the amount of talk like a press conference or shit talking amount of talk but the the internal talk that is all just nonsense that we filter through if you're gonna make a plan and you're gonna be honest with yourself mean what you say and say what you mean and then execute that plan so i think that's that's a big differentiator between somebody's goal that's to get to the ufc and then somebody's goal to be a ufc champion for sure because those well and to be fair, those are very different things and you need very different things in each level, right? To get yeah. to the UFC, typically you're either going to be an extreme specialist like a Alex Brahea type situation yep. where he's just an elite ass striker, or you're going to be extreme. You have to be as well-rounded as possible. You have to be the Mario <laughs> in the situation um, where you're very, you're good at everything, but not great at one thing. It, those are really your only options to get there. And you have to figure out, are you a specialist or are you a generalist? And mm-hmm. focusing on those skills will get you there. The only fucking way to be a champ is to be have a base level of competency at everything. Be good at everything and mm-hmm. then have one or two things that you are better than every other person at. 
Like right. yesterday, yesterday was the France card um, for the people listening to the podcast. It was, I was so impressed by Robert Whitaker. Like I, I actually, I texted Alex after the fight mm-hmm. and, yeah. and big I, man crush over here. Oh yeah. Like Alex or Robert Whitaker is one of, one of my favorite fighters of all time. I've always loved watching him fight, but that one might've sealed the deal on probably being top three fighters that I like to watch and that I respect because he's, he, he doesn't have any holes. The only guy he can lose to is Izzy. Like legitimately, the only guy he can lose to is Izzy, I think. And even that last fight with Izzy, I don't know if Izzy won. I th- I think Robert might have won that fight personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching what he did, he is elite, 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 elite at his kick game, like his karate style, his front kicks, his side kicks elite but he has the base level of competency that hey you want to take him down fuck you marvin vittori yeah. tried to take him down three times and he basically his cage wrestling was it was perfect there's nothing he did wrong in his cage wrestling and then he went back with ten, a minute left and blast doubled him right on his fucking ass <laughs> and on top well, of you all gotta feel bad for marvin vittori like he's he's i, don't feel, I don't feel bad at all he's good at a lot of things but he's just again but that, just, that and that's where i was going with that is that's the difference between the two marvin vittori is he's just still mario he marvin yeah. vittori is good he's good at everything he's such a solid fighter but he doesn't have that one thing outside of he does have some power in his hands but in reality he doesn't have that one thing that sticks out like if you're watching a marvin vittori fight you know it's going to be a grinding fight but you don't know how it's yeah. going to end when I watch a Robert Whitaker fight, I know exactly what the fuck he's going to do. He's going to throw that one, two high kick and it's going to fucking land and it's going <laughs> to hurt that guy. He's also got a killer j- or he's also got a killer cross. And then on top of all this, he's got a great sidekick front kick combo that you don't know where it's going. Is it going to the body? Is it going to the knee? Is it going to be a low kick? Those three things, those three strikes, Robert Whitaker is elite at. And that's what separates the two of those guys. Yeah. Guess what? That's prioritization. That's he came up learning those techniques. He focused on those techniques. He prioritized being fucking amazing at those things. And we see it play out in real time right now. Yeah, absolutely. And and that brings it back to how you schedule and prioritize your training mm-hmm. is how you're going to perform. Right. Mm-hmm. If And we can take it out of just a skill based um, conversation and we can move it into a lifestyle base because Robert Whitaker is known for being the hardest worker in the room. He's known for prioritizing his training or everything. At, at certain times, you have to be selfish with your training. That's yeah. why a lot of athletes travel for their camps. They take six weeks and it's away from their families, away from this and that. And that's so that they can solely focus mm-hmm. on sharpening their tools on what they need to work on. Um, and if we're going to talk about recency, like Kamaru Usman was just on the Joe Rogan podcast after his mm-hmm. loss to Leon Edwards, which again is ballsy as fuck. And I admire him for <laughs> that, doing so. That took some stones. Right. That was dope. <laughs> um, but he had one of the best training outlooks that I've seen. Like he knows it's his job to work hard and be a great athlete, but he also knows that he has some wizards in his back pocket as far as Trevor Whitman, um, his strength and conditioning, his dietitian, like, he knows if he executes the plan that's in do front you, of him. Do you know their names? Yes, I know. I said it wrong, but it's Corey Peacock and then Aaron Porter, who is one of my colleagues at Landau. But I don't he didn't say his uh, dietitian's <laughs> name, so I don't know that. But um, he knows and he articulates in that podcast. He's like, Trevor Whitman's a wizard. He knows that if he executes what Trevor Whitman puts in front of him, he knows if he executes the strength and conditioning plan in front of him, that he can be confident in his skills. So the prioritization can also lead to delegation. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be 
the general, the cavalry, and the infantrymen in your own army, right? You can be the general of your camp. Like, by all means, take charge of your training development and your schedule, but do it in the right way. Or if you know that I'm not necessarily a general, I'm just a guy that likes to work hard, make your head coach a general, mm-hmm. and then you can be the infantryman. So it's just it's being aware of yourself and then seeing your training and your development for what it is. I still run into so many fighters that that have no awareness of this. And like, again, I'm guilty of it too. So I don't mean to just criticize everybody, but growing that awareness and understanding where you are in your process and the type of person that you are is, is hugely integral into prioritizing what you can be most effective at, at the set period in time. For sure. Well, you, you have to be self-aware. Like if you don't know that you have a wrestling deficiency, then how do you know that you need to be a better wrestler? Right. Mm -hmm. If if you don't realize that you, you aren't great at defending chokes, how do you know that you have to get on the mat more and do more jujitsu? You you just, you have to put yourself in these situations. You have to be honest with yourself. I've, I've seen it a couple of times where people just aren't honest with themselves. They come in and they say that they're, oh yeah, I'm the hardest worker in the room. And they only show up to two or three practices a fucking week. Or they say, oh man, I got really good jujitsu defense. And then I go in and I, I go in there and fuck, I might be able to sub them out. <laughs> I've done jujitsu four times, but but like it, it's a reality check where you have to be self-aware of what your skill set is and then understand what you need to do to get better. And sometimes, unfortunately, it means either changing camps or sometimes it means taking control of your own training. Like we had one of my guys, uh, I'm fine name dropping him because he's one guy I'm super close with, Tommy McMillan. Um, he's a 135er, really good kid, upcoming prospect. He felt like he wasn't getting enough jujitsu. Right. He was very self-aware. He was a three-time state champ wrestler, very good striking, but he just felt like he wasn't getting enough jujitsu. Well, guess what? So we have an ADCC champ in town. Now he goes and does competition rules with Tanquinho, Augusto Mendez, and all of his black belts twice a week. His jujitsu has gone from a regular blue belt level to now he like he said he, his last practice, he was subbing out black belts. Like that's and that's come from a year and a half of doing two 10 minute like two competition rolls a week where he just put yeah. himself into the fucking shark tank said i need to get better at this it's he's the only blue belt in a room of purple brown and black and he just got his ass kicked. He, he used to he came in the first day after he did that he's like dude i got fucked up <laughs> <laughs> but he said it like you with a smile on your face and he's excited about it exactly that's, that, that's a cool feeling it, exactly and he just knew that's what he needed to get to his goals right and yeah. i backed him hundred percent his coaching staff uh, while the, while there was some gripes like it, they ba- they backed him uh, after he talked about why he needed it and they started backing him and then boom it just took him to the next level and now he's at, like his sparring rounds he's going out there he's over at the lab now but he's going out there and he's whooping the shit out of people and he's finishing people on the ground yeah. whereas before he would just not lay and pray but he would just grab wrist control and just kind of start hammering now he's going after submissions and it's all because he knew what he needed he saw a major deficiency yeah. in his game of offensive and defensive grappling. He spent a year and a half to two years of just training. That's the primary focus of his training. Like he took off sparring days to end up going over and focusing on his competition roles. Which again, comes from the gripes from the coach. They probably didn't like that. <laughs> no, no, but, but, at the end of the day, he knows what he needs. He's a very self-aware athlete. He knew that if he was going to get finished, he was going to get choked out. Nobody mm-hmm. was going to strike with him and if and nobody was going to take him down. But if he ended up on the ground and he ended up on bottom, he was probably going to get finished. So he said, fuck it. Let's focus on it. And well, yeah, 
again, substituting the sparring from the competition goals, that speaks to a, a point that you made earlier, Austin. Like, if we got to dig a hole, we have to be able to refill it when prioritization comes in. And again, it's really hot in the fitness industry right now and specifically with martial, mixed martial arts, prioritizing recovery, right? Rest and recovery are going to be some of your biggest uh, weapons going through your camp and in your training. So when we shift these priorities or we make the decision to make changes, how do we keep up with our recovery? Like talking about Tommy too, he decides to prioritize jujitsu. That's going to be a lot more stressful on his body for a lot of reasons. Like one jujitsu and wrestling are just energy system wise, a tougher, Mm -hmm. um, a tougher modality to recover from. I don't mean to say that they're harder, better than striking for all the haters that are about to come at me. They are, (laughs) but energy system wise, it takes a larger toll on your bottom because we're on your body because we're working the lactic energy system. Um, he's worse at them. So he's going to be in a a more sympathetic nervous state. And so that's going to be a lot more stressful on his body. He's going to be panicking from the start, quote unquote, panicking. Um, He's adding that to his trainer. So that's additional stress on top of his training days. Where in this paradigm of adding harder things into your training, do we give or take or prioritize recovery? How do you see that happening in a lot of people's camps? It's It's got to be if we're taking out, I think I think you have to, well, we talk about workload, right? Um, and we right. have green days, red days, yellow days. I think if you're going to substitute a high intensity session, so a red session, then you have to take out a high intensity session or a red session, right? It's you mm-hmm. have to pair up what you're interchanging. So if you're going to go do an hour and a half of competition rules, which are anywhere between really five to 10 minutes ago, yeah. probably really eight to 10 is typically a little bit more standard, but eight to 10 minutes ago for an hour and a half, well, guess the fuck what? Then you need to take out a high intensity session. What are most of the high intensity sessions? Most of the high intensity sessions are either that's going to be your wrestling day, like a hard ass wrestling day, or that's going to be your sparring day. So it has to be a give and take back and forth. If you're going to take out, say you want to get better at wrestling technique where that's a lot of drilling, but it's, it's harder drilling, right? Then you're going to have to take out a yellow session, which is going to be, maybe that's a hard mitt session. Maybe that's your striking. If you need to be a better wrestler, then focus on fucking wrestling. If you're already a good striker, then something has to give in your training volume. You could probably give a striking session if you're a striking specialist, if you want to focus on wrestling. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And and yeah, it's just workload management. And I was just having the thought, I think that's what sets your strength and conditioning coaches or your good head coaches or um, your coaching staff apart is as a fighter, you're so often looking at the, the minuscule, like technical view of things like the, the athlete should be worried about what's the next step in this jujitsu technique. They should be worried about how am I throwing this jab and how is it going to be effective? That's such the, the micro approach mm-hmm. because that's how you're going to get better in your techniques. And that's how you're going to be able to, um, be more efficient in your fighting, in your performance. The coach's job is almost to take that 10,000 foot view and look at the whole overall process, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's where you're making your money on your coaching is that they can manage this 10,000 foot view and see and almost bring the awareness to you of what needs to change. And so that's where I, I think, again, building a fighter brings such a value to any individual's physical preparation, fight camp or healthcare or, or anything in that paradigm, because we have the most accurate assessment of this stress level of this 
um, technical proficiencies and deficiencies and where we can actually help you spend your time and training and become next level, become great, not just continue to plug away and get good. Right. And it's, and it's extremely individualized, right? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just in going from a coaching standpoint to what you were just talking about, there's really two ways to run a team, right? And this is talking about prioritization on a coach's standpoint. There's really two ways. You're either going to be the individual camp where you're focusing on making good people great, or you're going to be the, I'm going to build up a team and a culture and it's all about the team first. And speaking on priorities, knowing yourself and being aware, there's correct and incorrect settings for both of those two. Right? And knowing talk- what the fuck you're good at too. Because exactly. some coaches are really good at making people good. Some coaches yeah. are really good at making people great. And you got to know what you are. And you have to know early in career, whatever, you, your goal might just be good. Like, again, mm-hmm. we we hate mm-hmm. on that all the time, that, that being good is not enough. And while I stand by that, you have to be good before you're great. So yep. as, as you're developing, maybe you're coming out of like a national level wrestling or a division one level wrestling. Like, yeah, you might be great at wrestling, but you're not even good at MMA. Right. <laughs> so like, yep. I, I know as harsh as that is, you have to be contextually aware enough to like, OK, well, I need to be part of this team fight camp so that I be- can become good at MMA and then later down the road, you know, then it might be time to make a switch to an individual fight camp in in tomorrow's land, right? But let's continue to be aware and continue to prioritize the right things in your training. So let's do a little thought experiment here with prioritization, Austin. Um, in a fighter's camp, so let's say you just got signed a contract, you're eight to ten weeks out or whatever, and I know it's individualized, but very generally, how do you rank the priorities of the athlete's training, not necessarily technical as far as like jujitsu is our number one priority, striking is our number two priority, but like technical, tactical, physical, conditioning, weight management, um, rest and recovery. What what do you see those as as a just the most general fight camp? Where are your priorities at? Um, I, mean, I swear I feel... to God, if you say it depends. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. It, it... It does. It does though, because it depends on what the athlete needs. Um, yeah. If if I have to be general, yes, um, you do. I would say that the number one thing, uh, maybe not the number one thing, but one of the top three things is the fucker has to make weight. Right. You you can't fight unless you make weight. Right. Unless. Can I answer my own question? Can I jump in here and no? And I'm going myself up. All right. No. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna rip apart whatever you say and answer myself. After this, so That's go ahead. Um, Take your time. Enjoy. I would my, say I you do. I would say that probably my top priority is they need to feel confident. So whatever makes whatever that athlete feels the most confident in, you need to focus on the highlights first. Okay. So if they're a striker, I would focus on striking in camp and what makes them feel the most confident going into the fight. The second thing is out after that, I would focus on recovery personally, because as I talk about all the time, if you're going to dig a hole, you have to cause adaptations from the hole that you dig, right? We we don't want them going into the cage fatigued, overwhelmed, and or under-recovered. So we want them to go in at the highest, I guess, physical being that they possibly can or the highest physical state they possibly can. I think that comes from recovery. Third is going to be conditioning or no, third is going to be weight cut. Fourth is going to be conditioning because Typically, unless conditioning is what makes them feel the most confident, in which case that has to be number one. But for the most part, I would say conditioning would be fourth. Um, and then fifth is focusing on deficiencies. Yeah. Okay. So actually you changed my scale quite a bit because I love that you involved confidence because again, I think the most dangerous athletes are the most confident ones. Bingo. 
and, and rightfully so confident, not this fake ass confidence that you talk shit on press conference. So yeah, my one, my, my number one is, is confidence and mental preparation, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think it, it, it still goes back to what Bo Sandoval said on one of our first podcasts is like, if you're not mentally in the right space to perform or train, the session's worthless. Like yeah. you, you have to have that in check before we get any actual work done in the, in the session. So confidence in your, um, preparation. Number two for me is a technical tactical game plan. Like, and again, this is more in an ideal setting where, you know, weights relatively under control physical is relatively there, which I know doesn't always happen, but generally I think your number two priority is winning the fucking fight. Like, um, technical tactical, having a great game plan going in, knowing your opponent, knowing what's going to happen, or, maybe you're in a stage in your career where your technical tactical game plan still all revolves around yourself, right? Making sure that I'm crisp and clean, making sure that I know where I need to go for cage wrestling. I know where I need to go for striking. I know I would what my say, best weapons and tools are. I would say that is a much exactly what you said, where it's focusing on yourself, unless you're yeah. in the top 10 in the UFC, <laughs> focusing on yourself is the main priority. Amen. Because Amen. I you would... shouldn't change what you're doing to the person in front of you, unless they have like a killer weapon. Right. Yeah. Outside of that, implement your game plan. I would maybe stair step that down a little bit. I'd say I'd say once you're in the UFC, it, it's time to game plan specifically against mm-hmm. your opponent. Um, well, I think- no. So here, let me expand. So I think you need sure, to know sure. what they do. You need to know how they fight. You need to know what they're good at, what they're bad sure. at. Right. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, do you change what you do for them? Or are you going to implement your game plan and not allow them to get their their shot off, get their yeah. skills off? Lead that dance. should be what I think the second one, the latter is what matters a lot more until you get into championship status. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll confess you there. Um, which even like funny little antidote, I, I started coaching wrestling the last year and we're at a, a high school state wrestling tournament. And so some coaches wanted to start game planning against individuals that we might see in the bracket. Not that, not that we have a definite matchup against, but that we might see against, but I was like, no, this process needs to be wholly on the individual. Even if I have a potential state champ in front of me, like it's their game plan. Like we're not. It's, it's we're funny. Not. I wrestled for shit in my competitive, my competitive seasons from six until 21. I not once game. And maybe that's a fault of mine. I not once game plan for anybody in say, front of me. I, I just did say. my thing and I'm like, fuck you. I, either I'm going to do my thing or I'm going to, and it's going to win or lose. <laughs> right. I, I was I had the same approach, which again, maybe is why I'm I'm stuck and in, in love with that approach. Okay. Regardless, back to my list. Confidence number one, you have to be um confident in your preparation. Two, technical tactical game plan of yourself and being ready to go there. Three, I think is physical, right? You have to have your physical capabilities in order. And I would make your physical um training kind of as an umbrella term for conditioning, weight management, and uh, performance abilities, right? So all three of those things come in your third priority. As you get to fight week, obviously, the priority of making weight kind of leapfrogs because you can't fight if you don't make weight. Um, But that's my number third is your physical capacity. My number four um, oh, is rest and recovery, which, again, could be under the, the umbrella of physical capabilities. And in today's day and age with UFC, maybe rest and recovery leapfrogs the physical capabilities because we know that 
so many of our mixed martial arts athletes are overtraining or trying to put too much on their plate, which yes, you need to catch up and get better. But if you don't rest and recover from it, you're just continually, like you keep saying, digging a hole and burying yourself essentially. Mm -hmm. So if I had to, that was my, that would be my four in camp priorities. Um, confidence, game plan, technical, tactical, proficiency, physical abilities, conditioning, making weight, having the ability to perform, and then fourth, rest and recovery. Yeah, I like it a lot. Another way we could go with, to segue, another way we can go with prioritization is is on the conditioning side. So let's get micro on this. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, One thing that bugs me is when we don't look at what an athlete what what they're good at before we try to <laughs> before we give recommendations for what yeah, they should yeah, do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I'm working with a fast twitch athlete, and hey, maybe they do need to increase their aerobic capacity, they probably do. Um, I shouldn't be telling them to run six days a week if mm-hmm. they're a, like like long <laughs> slow distance, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, a fast twitch athlete, while they do need to have an increased aerobic capacity, we don't want to change their muscle fiber type complex, right? We don't want to change their profile of are they fast twitch or slow twitch, right? I want to increase the oxidative capacity of their fast twitch fiber or not i guess not oxidative capacity but the endurance of their fast twitch fibers yeah their sprint repeatability bingo i don't want to make them a slow twitch athlete and i've already like i i've done this in my career where i had to realize what i was doing where i tried to i tried to make a fast twitch athlete a slower twitch athlete and mm-hmm. it took away from their power yeah 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 you can't you, you can't do that. And it was a self-realization status that I, I just don't do that anymore. You try to highlight what they're good at and then make what they're good at better, right? So yeah. if I'm working with a let's say I'm working with a striker, yes, do you like or, or a boxer is a good example. I'm working with a dude that's got a killer right hand, right? He's he's a knockout artist. I need to focus on trying to make them able to throw knockout punches more, right? I, I need to make them good at their weapons more. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want to make their weapons worse to make them an overall well more well-rounded person. Yeah, it's the same. You, yeah, you bring their overall skill set down Bingo. by making everything right. average. Well, yeah. I'm taking away what makes them special. Yeah, I want to highlight what makes them special and then try to focus on lifting the floor a little bit higher every time. And that just takes a little bit longer. So people don't want to do that. Right. They want mm-hmm. to, oh yeah, I can boot, I can make them run six days a week. They're gonna, they're gonna increase their aerobic capacity. Maybe we do some sprint work in there, but the sprint work isn't really focusing on power because it's like 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off. Because so that's not real sprint work in the first place because they can't recover. If you're doing sprint work, make sure that you're actually recovering in between your sprints. <laughs> um, but like they they want to, it's a much faster effect if I try to have them do a lot of long, slow distance, but it's going to be a short-term benefit. For a long-term, I guess, pitfall, you're taking away from their overall power in the long term, and you're not setting them up for success three years down the road. You're setting them up for success six months to nine months down the road. And that's where we have to switch what we're doing. We need to focus on highlighting qualities. We need to focus on like, say for applicable example, say I'm working with a guy that's got a killer cross, that same guy. I'm going to focus on their alactic capacity. So... How, if we're doing starting with six seconds bursts, I want to build them up to 12 second bursts and make them try to extend the amount of time that they could have max power output, right? That's what's going to make the biggest difference in that athlete's endurance as opposed to 
having them going on long, slow distance runs. I'm not saying those are wrong, but that can't be the main focus. That's going to change their entire muscle fiber fiber complex, and it's going to take away their specialness. I would argue one little minute point in that, in that that the capacity is not what's going to make the biggest difference. Mm -hmm. I think the capacity is is definitely your first step. That's where you need to go to be able to maintain a power output from 6 to 12 seconds. The biggest difference is going to be taking that rest, and then repeating the 12 second burst and then right. repeating again. And then as you progress, shortening the rest interval, shortening the rest interval. If we can, you know, burst for 10 seconds, take 30 seconds down, burst at a relatively similar output level. And we can do that repetitively um, with like, with, with again, minimal drop off or little fatigue index. That's going to be the biggest part. That's going to make them perform really well. For sure, but where do we got to start? Oh, I, <laughs> I, agree. I agree. Again, that's why I said it's the first step, but I don't think it's the biggest step. Um, and sorry, I was listening, but I was also formulating my 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 rebuttal or counterpoints. It's not really against what you say, but I was thinking um, what you just described is a pitfall or a downfall of good and bad systems, right? You're a big system guy. A mm-hmm. good system is adaptable to the athlete in front of you, right? So yes, endurance may be a problem, but what's the athlete in front of me and how do we work on their endurance? Bad system. Everybody needs to be doing, you know, the long, slow distance cardio build the aerobic base at all time, regardless, you know? And so it, it's a good system, which is adaptable and um, moldable to the athlete in front of you. It's a bad system. If, if the, the method is absolute and the principle is absolute. Right. We talk well, about and, this all the time. Well, okay. and it's long, slow distance running is, I don't want to, I'm not against it, right? Yeah, I if, mean, I'm, if I'm a big focusing on, guy too. Right, if we're focusing on a wrestler or if we're focusing on a jiu-jitsu athlete, more of a grappling, well, mm-hmm. guess what? You should probably have an extremely high aerobic base, right? Yeah. If you're a guy that isn't, he's not, you're not a knockout puncher, you're a fucking grinder, dude, do your long, slow distance running. That's yeah. not going to change your muscle fiber profile, if you will. Yeah. But for the most part, if you're a fast twitch athlete, I need to keep you fast twitch. I don't want right. to make you slow twitch for the benefit of in, in, improving your or improving your aerobic capacity. That's going to completely take away your special skills. I want to highlight those and then try to build them on the back end just a little bit at a time. Well, and this is where it's beautiful that we have a, a pretty robust podcast library and I can reference back to like Coach Augie when he was on from Land yep. Performance. Like he talked endlessly about leaning into your superpower. Like mm-hmm. what is your athlete's superpower and how can we exploit that versus hide it? Right. Yep. Cause we're talking about, if you're talking about taking a power athlete, making them do endless cardio, you're hiding their superpower. You're, you're diminishing it versus leaning into it. Like we're talking about with the alactic capacity. Um, I was just talking about principles and methods. That's our Tim Murray podcast. Mm-hmm. Like that was one of, that's one of his most foundational strength conditioning uh, ideals is that you have your solid in stone principles, but right. then your methods have to modify via the person in front of you, right? Because I think that that's how you create a robust system that's applicable to every fighter, not just one fighter. Um, and this is in our podcast, but you can talk about um, Andy Galpin does a great job on the Huberman Lab podcast of explaining that was a good podcast. Yeah, that was a really good podcast, but he explains the difference between adding cardio into your strength and power athlete. Right. There was the the study that he describes is you have your endurance runners and you have your strength and power athletes. When your endurance runners train strength and power, they get better at endurance. They get better at everything. 
when you're strength and power athletes train endurance, their strength and power comes down. They're training at the detriment of their strength and power. So if, if we have that inverse, we have to understand that and how to apply that to an MMA fighter. If we have a knockout artist and then we continually pound them with endurance, their knockout ability is coming down. Mm-hmm. Right. Versus we have that grappler wrestler grinder that is the endurance athlete. And we put some power behind what they're doing. They're getting better in every capacity. Yep. So it's just simply a, a understanding of the scope and training and the athlete in front of you, which um, right. I forget where we started with this, but I think ties it all together really well, well. Fiber type. Yeah. It's the difference between training Alex Pahea and training Colby Covington. Yeah. Colby Covington's going to overwhelm you, overwhelm you with volume, right? I just need to make his power a little bit better on every shot. Yeah. But for the most part, he's going to benefit from long, slow distance runs, highlighting what he's good at. If I'm working with Alex Perea, I'm not going to go have him do five days of fucking road work. I'm going to have yeah. him focus on his increasing his capacity and increasing his reproducibility of his yeah. fast twitch fiber output. That's the difference. And I think it's important, too, that you're, we're talking about one variable in an athlete's preparation uh one pitfall that i fell into really early in my career and a lot of things is like with any athlete there's going to be numerous variables that can go up in their fight camp there's going to be so many things that they can get better at or that we see a pit yeah uh, like an early pitfall that i fell into in, in training camps was i would try to address every single variable that my athlete could benefit from in one camp same right which is hard because that's so many different competing demands and we end up running into not actually making our athlete better at anything but um spending a lot of effort and time on them Mm -hmm. versus if we choose the highest value one or two um variables we can actually make a difference so it's important that we're highlighting one or two things to get better at in a fight camp or even in an off season off camp versus trying to get better at everything at once it's it's the very novel person, the very novice individual that can get better at everything at once. But that lifespan, especially in MMA, when training is so rampant, is relatively short. Mm-hmm. You have one or two years to make somebody better at everything at all times. After those one or two years, after that base, after those three yeah, after or that, four. After that novice level. Fights, yeah, after those three or four amateur fights, if your athlete's continuing on a progression, then we got to start to specify and start to, to focus. And then when you get to that top 10 UFC or championship level in the UFC, that's when we have to focus on the one or one minute thing. Right. To win a fight. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, that's where focusing on, on literally the highest level of the highest level is going to make a difference. Changing your priorities. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah, man. I think that's uh that's what we have to talk about training priorities i think we got into some really good rabbit holes there on not only training priorities like aspects of different martial arts we talked about priorities in your holistic training outlook we talked about um priorities in your everyday life so i think we talked about well an easy applicable step to kind of finish this off is fucking write that write down your priorities write them down in order what do you want? And if you can, it, you should show it to your coach and coaches. I was going to say, run it by that, two or three different places. Yeah. Your main training partner, your coach, your training conditioning coach, validate it. Right. Well, and on top of that, coaches write down what are your priorities? Cause your priorities should match your athlete priorities. If they don't, you got to have a conversation to figure out why they don't and yeah. explain yourself. And then athlete explain yourself. Because say, if one of you thinks you need to be better at striking and the other one thinks you need to be better at grappling, then your training sessions are going to be all fucking off. Coaches, you can be wrong too. That's like my <laughs> biggest pet peeve is like, yep. sometimes your athletes, 
are more in tune with their own body or whatever, like just have that conversation, not in a dictator dictator. Right. Mode. It's, it's gotta be a conversation. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> not a, Sorry, not, a lec- not a lecture, mm-hmm. but yeah, if you guys got in contact with us, all of our information is in the show notes. Um, <laughs> we also, Hey, I'm excited. If you listen this far, we just joined the proving grit podcast network. I'm excited to, oh, yeah. um, be a part of their network and ecosystem. So we're going to have some different ads for different shows that are going to be popping up. That's also going to help us with some ads as well. So we're going to have a couple sponsors joining us where we'll have some ads back and forth in the show, but uh, check out proven grit podcast network. That's going to be on Instagram. I think they're proven grit pod is their Instagram handle Mm -hmm. as well as go to their website and check them out and follow some other shows because I've listened to a few now. Hey, these guys are killers in the strength conditioning space, all of these different shows. So do us a favor and go and just check out their podcast. If you like them. Awesome. If you don't, you don't have to listen to it again, but keep listening to our podcast though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't do it in place of building a fighter. No, but, and I'm excited for this because it, it it's just uh, the proving grounds of like our podcast and we're making small steps forward. So uh, I'm excited that building a fighter is catching some momentum. Exactly. So like I said, go over to Proven Grit Podcast Network and check them out and check out all their shows. So this is Dr. Austin Shane. Alex Friedman. And we are out. Out.